Welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers from the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is on Luke chapter 22, verse 35 to verse 31. Please get out your Bible and follow along. Why should we be watchful and constantly prepare ourselves for the days ahead? Can we afford to take our faith for granted or assume that we'll always make the right decision because of how we feel now before the trouble comes? Can we expect sudden and drastic changes to come upon us the same way it came upon Messiah and his disciples here in Luke chapter 22? What can we learn from the different ways that Messiah and his disciples handled the situation that they suddenly found themselves in? Was the first century Judean system operating under the Mosaic covenant or was it corrupted into something else? Why did it matter? How does the Mosaic Covenant work? How does the New Covenant work? And how can we prepare ourselves to stand firm when the ground begins to shift beneath our feet? Stay tuned throughout today's program for Eliyahu Ben David's insight on these questions and more in Luke chapter 22, verse 35 through verse 71. And now, here's Eliyahu ben David. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. And walk in it. And you'll find a rest for you. Shalom, friends. Great to have you with us once again. Again, we're looking at what happened with Yeshua as he approached the very fateful events. And I think though we have some different thoughts to look at in the book of Luke than maybe what we have thought of before, and I think we'll all find it interesting. Prepare for shifting ground. You know, it's hard to believe sometimes what can happen when the ground shifts. 
It can happen in places we don't even see it. You know, it takes time sometimes for people to think things through or they don't even think things through. And then very soon that's really too late to do anything about it. You have to prepare for shifting ground. You have to notice things. You have to realize that things really can change very quickly. And how quickly a person is able to adapt to changes has a lot to do with the outcome that they experience. Well, these events that we were looking at kind of emphasize this for us, shifting ground. For Israel, the ground that Israel stands on is the covenant with Yahweh. And that should be solid ground for us, even in difficult times. In Exodus 19, Yahweh said this to Israel, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession from among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you should be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So, the covenant is something very special for Israel. It ensures that Israel is Yahweh's own possession, his special people, but it is dependent upon obeying his voice and keeping his covenant. Here's kind of how the covenant works. We have the biggest problem at the bottom, kind of like layers of the earth in a way. At the bottom of the whole thing, you have the sin nature of man. You can't build anything on the sin nature of man because it's like water. There's nothing solid that you're able to build on. So Yahweh's way of dealing with that in the Mosaic Covenant was to cover it. Cover it. Cover the sin nature of man with the sacrificial atonement system. That's how he was able to deal with the sin nature. Then above the sacrificial atonement system, now you're ready to start dealing with the covenant. So that's where you have the commandments of the covenant. And the commandments tell us how to live. They tell us how Yahweh wants us to live, and they're complete for the entire nation. Righteous people and families can be built on that. We have the atonement to take care of the sin nature that's common to all of us from Adam. And we have the commandments to teach us how to live. So this makes for righteous people, righteous families. Now, that's more basic, really, than the rest of this. Spiritual teachers and leaders are important, yes. They help to teach the 
people, the families how to live, help to direct them. But, you know, if you don't have righteous people, then having good spiritual teachers isn't going to help you very much. You have to have righteous people. Same thing for government. Whether we're talking about order on the family level, tribal level, or national level, that really has to be based on a righteous society of people. But if you have all of that, and people are acting in good faith to keep the covenant, they can turn to the atonement system, then what you would have is a blessed and happy nation. And Yahweh then is going to turn away those kinds of incidents and problems that could be like shaky ground under your feet. And we do have examples of generations of people in biblical times who were essentially following the covenant like this and the nation was greatly blessed when they were actually doing that. Now, what we're getting into in Luke 22 is the new covenant. The very fact that Yeshua was inaugurating the new covenant with his disciples should have told them that we have shifting ground. Why, why at this moment is he telling them this? You know, several times as we've been going through, we see Yeshua telling them what's going to be happening to him, that he's going to be dying, being killed. And each time, the disciples push that away. It's unpleasant. They don't want to hear it. This is very common to human nature. Now at this Passover, he's actually saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And this is a real sign. We're in for a big change here. A really big change. Because, of course, they knew in the book of Jeremiah... It talks about a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. You know, a lot of us heard so much about the new covenant in Christianity that we really don't get just how central this is to the nation of Israel, this new covenant. This is an amazing change for the nation of Israel. But the fact that it has to happen when it happens is a sign that something is wrong. There's a reason why the new covenant had to come in right then. Well, it shouldn't really be that bad. You know, here we have how the nation would be under the Mosaic covenant of Israel. And compare that to the new covenant for Israel. This is looking at it on the national level now. Under the new covenant, things are really different 
because sin nature is dealt with. At the bottom of the entire structure, you have a rock, and the rock is Messiah. Solid, something solid. His perfect atonement once for all time takes care of that. And his perfect righteousness essentially cancels out the sin nature. So it really is a better covenant. It's a better covenant. And the commandments still exist, but they're written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that makes us want to do them. And it gives us help to do them. So, potentially, the new covenant could come in and if people had been living up to the Mosaic Covenant, it wouldn't be such a shock, would it? It would just be better. But it wouldn't be such a shock for the nation. So why did it have to be such a shock? Well, take a look at this. You see, we have the Mosaic Covenant, as I explained it to you. But... The Mosaic Covenant did not favor the elite. You notice we put the people before we get to the people that normally are part of the elite class. The people come first in the covenant before the ones that in most societies are considered elite. And it has to be the way Yahweh laid it out to get the result, the final result of a blessed and happy nation. So the people who really wanted to be the elite, they used the means those kind of people always use in order to essentially rise to the top of society with influence. Basically, what they had done is they changed the covenant in actuality with this first century Judean system that you've got here. So the sin nature of man is there at the bottom of it all, just like in the Mosaic Covenant. However, this whole thing went way beyond the sin nature of man. And the next thing, the next level, is not atonement. It's a corrupt and oppressive government. That's actually the next thing. It's the Edomite Herodian government. And really, that was shaping everything to cause the whole system to basically operate for the for that ruling class. And built on top of that, next you have the self-serving religious system. So, whereas you should have spiritual teachers and leaders, they shouldn't be so important to the structure 
but they're part of the elite and they work right together with the corrupt oppressive government and they kind of serve as a buffer with the rest of the system in order to get cooperation well the next thing is what they were really interested in their temple money scam they had huge amounts of wealth coming into the temple from all over the Roman Empire. From the Jewish communities throughout the Roman Empire, they were bound by law to have to pay the temple tax. They had to come frequently to Jerusalem. They had to travel there. And so it brought in huge amounts of money. And of course, both the corrupt, oppressive government and the corrupt religious system wanted to be skimming off their share on a regular basis, and they were. So the temple, which should have been providing atonement, which was for a spiritual purpose for the nation, had been turned into a den of robbers, just like Messiah said. So it wasn't really functioning for the people. It wasn't functioning to take care of sin. And the sins of the nation were piling up. Well, if you have that kind of a religious system, then instead of having true spirituality and keeping the commandments, what you have instead is dead religion. And dead religion really makes for a dead society. And built on the dead religion was a population of very oppressed and deceived people. You know, except for the temple part, you could substitute that with some other false religion. And this really kind of describes most any really corrupt governmental system. But when things get this corrupt, national collapse is going to happen. It must happen. It's like having termites eating out all of the wood under your porch. You don't really see it, but one day the whole thing is just going to cave in. So that was the true system that they had in the first century. It wasn't really the Mosaic Covenant system at all. They pretended they had that, but they didn't have that. They had this other system. So, essentially what had happened is they had voided the covenant. So, the covenant was null and void. And without the covenant, did Yahweh need any of these people? Did they have any kind of favor with him? So, what that means is that the nation was doomed because his name was still connected to that nation. 
See, this is the problem for Israel because they're in the covenant. If they're keeping the covenant in good faith, they get a lot of blessings. But if they don't and they do this kind of stuff, then they're going to have catastrophe because the name of Yahweh is connected with them. And so he has to bring judgment on them so as to disassociate himself from all of the evil and corruption. That's what has to happen. This is why the temple was destroyed twice, once by the Babylonians, and that should have taught them the lesson, and then later by the Romans, and each time on the same day. That's like Yahweh's signature saying, I'm behind this. So this had to happen. So if you think about this as kind of layers of the earth, here's shifting ground. When Yeshua inaugurated the new covenant, what that meant is the new covenant was going to essentially push out that corrupt evil system. That's what would have to happen. That's what would have to happen. So when Yeshua inaugurated the new covenant, it really was like water going out to sea and basically a sign of a tidal wave coming back in. It put pressure on that corrupt system that would eventually bring it to its collapse. Yeshua had inaugurated the new covenant with Israel represented by the newly ordained leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's who the apostles were. And they represented a new government. And when Yeshua did that, he knew what he was doing. He knew he was going to become the sacrificial lamb that was required for the new covenant to take effect. And it was going to happen that very day. Now, in my last teaching, I was sharing about the new covenant. And I did a lot of study for that. And I found that there are some Christian teachers that say that the new covenant will not happen until later. But that's impossible because Yeshua inaugurated the new covenant with his own blood the very day that he brought Israel into the new covenant. So obviously we're under the new covenant. It's very clear. And he knew he was doing that. He knew all of the implications of this that I was just explaining to you. He knew this was going to make for massive change. Massive change. And he knew that that was going to be immediately. And so he had carefully prepared himself to meet up 
for the challenges that were going to come upon him. He was really the catalyst that was going to bring all this on. And he knew also that these events that were about to happen, this staggering shift, would immediately and forever change the lives of his disciples. And he tried to tell them several times, but they couldn't really hear him. They just couldn't get it. You know, sometimes we're just so comfortable in our own little world that it's really hard to believe that everything is going to change so soon. And they just couldn't see it. So, because they couldn't see it, they failed to mentally and spiritually prepare for what was about to happen. I can relate to that. Can you relate to that? Things can happen really fast. They can happen a lot faster than we can mentally prepare for them. So this is why when there is a sign first, we need to pay attention to it, and we need to take the right action. We remember earlier in this chapter, Yeshua had said to Peter, Satan asked to have you that he might sift you as wheat. Now, he's talking to Peter, but I think when you're talking about sifting, it's probably not just talking about Peter. It's probably talking about all of the disciples. They're going to be sifted as wheat. Now, this is a very shifting kind of thing, isn't it? Sifting wheat. They're going to be thrown into this situation where there's no stable ground under their feet, spiritually and emotionally speaking. And Yeshua had been praying especially for Peter, because he knew what was going to happen. He told Peter what would happen. So here we have Yeshua. He saw what was going to happen. He had prepared. He was ready. And Peter wasn't. It's interesting to me sometimes that people don't agree with Yeshua. You know, like, Yeshua told Peter what was going to happen, and Peter said, oh, no, I would go and die with you. Guess what? Peter wasn't ready to go die with him. In one moment, you can feel so convinced. You can feel so certain that in that moment, you really think that's what you would do. And yet, when the pressure comes, when the confusion comes, when the fog of war comes, that now you're not quite so sure anymore. He told them that it was time for changes to happen. He sent them out without purse and wallet and shoes. They had everything they needed. Why wouldn't they? They were with Yeshua. So he took care of it all. They didn't have to worry about it. Plus, he made all the plans, right? And he told them what to do. But then he said, now, whoever has a purse, let him take it, and likewise a wallet. Whoever has none, let him sell his cloak and buy a sword. 
this is very controversial for a lot of people. Yeshua telling people to buy a sword. Yeshua was not a pacifist. It's not unusual, he said, to buy a sword. We've already looked at how corrupt the nation was. There were a lot of bad characters. There was a lot of robbery and things like that. And Yeshua was not against you having reasonable protection. Nothing wrong with that. Just another practical thing, just like a wallet or other kind of practical things you would need. He says, for I tell you that this which is written must still be fulfilled in me. He was counted with transgressors, for that which concerns me has an end. In other words, I'm here for a reason right now, and I've been taking care of you all along. But this is all coming to an end. This has a purpose. It's moving really fast. So I'm not going to be here with you anymore. And everything is going to change. It's time for you to grow up. You just can't depend on me to tell you everything. You just can't depend on me to take care of everything. You've got to grow up. That's what he's telling them. You're going to have to look to things yourself. You've got to decide if you need a sword or not. Not me. You need to decide where you're going to go and how you're going to behave. That's what it's like in this world, isn't it? Yes, Messiah is there for us. We can go to him. But does he always tell you exactly what to do? Don't you have to just figure it out sometimes? Don't you have to get along sometimes with something less than what you think you need? This is what he was telling them. Things are changing. And you have to be engaged. See what I'm saying? You see what they were doing? They had signed up for the ride with Messiah. And they went along. Everywhere he went, he was healing people. He was casting out demons. They did whatever he told them. But a good part of the time, let's face it, they really didn't have a clue what was going on. And he's telling them, you know, the amusement park thing is over now. We're going to get on with some real life here. It's going to come on to you to have to make your own way in the world. So they just got hung up on the sword thing. They didn't get any of this, all right? They just got hung up on the sword thing, and they said, well, we've got two swords. They didn't understand at all what he was telling them. So, you know what? He just said, that's enough. I don't think he was saying the two swords are enough. I think he was saying what I've told you is enough because you're just not getting it. So they went out to the Mount of Olives. Why did they go to the Mount of Olives? They had had a very long day. They had had a lengthy Passover, and now it was late at night. 
I bet you while they're on the way to the Mount of Olives, the disciples are thinking, the Mount of Olives? Man, we need some sleep. You know, in their head, it's just like some other Passover, any other Passover, what they would do. How come we're going off to the Mount of Olives so late at night? But, you know, they always went where he went, so they went with him. So then he says, pray that you don't enter into temptation. How seriously did they take that? They still don't have a clue what's happening. The ground is shifting under their feet. But as for Yeshua, he was there because he knew he could do a lot more to be prepared in prayer than he could do catching a few extra winks. So we know that he prayed very, very intensely. And he found that place. You know, it's interesting here because he was in struggle. And it wasn't because in any way he was sinful. Would any of you like to die tonight? It's not normal for people to want to die, is it? Would any of you like to be basically ridiculed and called a blasphemer and abused? Nobody wants that, and he didn't either. He didn't want it either. And yet he said, not my will, but yours be done. You have to pray through something like that, don't you? You know, sometimes we read things like this, and we think it's just easy. It isn't. Yeshua was a real man, a real human being, just like you. Just like you. Had those same kind of feelings that you have. I hear people say sometimes, well, he was the son of God, so, you know, he just kind of did that. No, he didn't. This is why he went to the garden. He needed to prepare. He needed to spend that time with his father. And he needed an angel to come and strengthen him. Sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. How many of us have prayed until that happened? With that kind of intensity? It just tells you how deeply he was dealing with what was ahead of him. It's because he really got it. He really knew what was going to happen. And he was preparing. He knew the ground was quickly shifting. He was feeling that. And he was at the center of it. But, you know, he did not lose his way. 
He was not confused. He knew what was going to happen. And at every step, he did exactly what he needed to do. The disciples, well, not so much. They missed their prayer opportunity. I wonder how the Gospels might have been different if the disciples had prayed. I wonder how the story might have been different. But they didn't. He found them sleeping. And, you know, he can like hardly believe it because he knows what's really going to happen. And he's saying, why do you sleep? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Why do you sleep? They're thinking, why do we sleep? It's like two in the morning or whatever, right? That's what they're thinking. They think he's kind of weird sometimes because he says these things that don't really make sense. I mean, it's the middle of the night and you're saying, why do we sleep? They don't get where they're at. They were indeed asleep in more ways than one. Well, then we have Judas betraying Yeshua with a kiss. Things were changing, shifting in his life. He saw an opportunity to make 30 pieces of silver. And, you know, somebody's going to do it. It's just a matter of time. We all know that this is going to happen, that, you know, the elites, they don't like this guy. They're going to take care of him. Why shouldn't I be the one to have the money? This is how people think without knowing what the real cost is of entering into something like this. Judas, when he did become aware of the real cost, he didn't want the money anymore. This is what happens with the shifting sands. You know, it shows what's in people's hearts. It shows what's in people's hearts. Betrayal is one of the most shocking events that is bound to happen when major shifts are underway. Have you ever been betrayed? Usually it is unusual events that bring that on. It's about the most unfun thing that can happen. It didn't catch Yeshua by surprise. So we're, that really throws people, usually. It didn't throw Messiah at all. A certain one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. That's just the right thing to do, right? They weren't ready. All of a sudden, they're in this, in the middle of this whole situation. There's tortures, there's darkness, there's swords. 
They don't know what to do. Got to do something. Got to stop them. I've got a sword. No. When the ground shifts, if you're not ready and you just do something, it's going to be the wrong thing. Yeshua told them, this is your hour and the power of darkness. You know, I find it interesting that believers very often are very cavalier about evil. Sometimes, you know, you'll hear them say things like, well, the devil can't do anything to me because I'm a believer. Things like this. They should think about this. That there is an hour for the power of darkness. There are times that are allowed to the enemy. If you're not ready when that happens, it can have extremely bad results. Yeshua knew this. He understood this was their time. This was their hour. And they were going to do their worst. And he did not resist. This isn't just a Bible story. This is a real man. A real man. This is courage. This is bravery. This is obedience, wisdom, righteousness. It's amazing. It's amazing the understanding that he had of the shifting ground. And he was the only one that really understood what was going on. None of those people did. I'm telling you, this ruined the life of everybody there in terms of all these people that came out to get him. They spent the whole rest of their lives. I don't know who they were, you know, but I'm just telling you right now, an event like this does not happen in your life without totally messing up your life from that point forward. They were all dealing with it the rest of their life. And I hope some of them came to a place where they came to know Yeshua. Because if they didn't, I'm sure they were all tormented by what had happened. Failure to prepare for the shifting ground can lead to bitter regrets. We have the story of Peter. So much bravado, you know. He was always out there first. But the very thing he didn't believe would happen to him, happened to him. He denied the Lord three times. He went out and wept bitterly. He wasn't ready when the moment came. The shock was too great for him. He could not handle it. Caught off guard. He was thrown. Thrown off his feet. And he caved in. Yeshua, though, 
He was the one actually dealing with those people, right? I think it's interesting. Peter's out in the courtyard and he can't handle it. Yeshua is right there in the midst of the wolves. And he's just as cool as a cucumber. He knows totally who he's dealing with. He knows exactly what's going on. And he's totally engaged and present in what's happening. Doing exactly what he needs to do. Contrasting him with Peter in this instance, look at the courage of Yeshua. Staring in the eyes of the people, not only that he knew could kill him, that he knew would kill him. And in that setting, his testimony, I think, is pretty amazing. Telling them from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of Elohim. He's already looking past the cross to being back with his father. Don't you think that's interesting? That's how you get through. Isn't that how you get through? We look past the trials to the promises, to the hope. That's how he did it. And they all said, are you then the son of Elohim? And he said, you say it because I am. He owned it. Knowing, of course, that they'd be spilling blood as soon as he spoke the truth. Then they had their way. We'll be talking about that as we continue in the book of Luke, but of course we know what happened. They did seal their own doom. They thought they would get rid of him, and then the challenge that he was posing to their corrupt system would be taken out of the way. And he wouldn't be interrupting their little temple money scam anymore. But instead, what really happened is they were bringing more trouble on themselves than they could possibly ever imagine. They were really bringing on the end of their nation. But you see, Yeshua had already acted before they had a chance to do what they were going to do. He had inaugurated the new covenant. And now there was such a thing put in place as the new covenant Israel. He's like, I don't know, if this were a chess game, he'd, he'd be like, you're, you're moving your pawn and he's at the checkmate. He totally was way ahead of all of them. He knew it was going to happen. Like, for example, if any of us were in his shoes and you even knew that you needed to inaugurate the new covenant. You might be thinking, well, I don't know. These guys really don't have it together. 
I can't leave this in the hands of these people. This whole thing is going to fail now. He didn't think like that. He knew every step that was going to happen. He didn't have to use supernatural powers to know. He understood human beings well enough to know what every single one of them was going to do and what was going to happen when the Holy Spirit came and how that was going to turn everything around for those guys. So he did what he needed to do. He inaugurated the new covenant, and even though they really didn't understand what was going on, it was real. It was official. And he inaugurated that that same day in actual fact with his own blood. And he did that knowing that was needed for his nation. Because, you know, he had been ministering in that nation and had great crowds of people to come out and see him. And out of those great crowds of people, he saw those who were like gems to him. You know, most of the crowds, they were curious or they wanted to get something. But there were those gems and as we went through the stories, we remember the things he said about their faith and the things that he had seen in them and the, the attitude that they had. You know, he always saw the good in them. And now, because he had inaugurated the new covenant, the nation was doomed, but the remnant were not doomed. He made a way for the remnant to be saved, literally delivered, because we know what happened to that nation, and we know what happened to the remnant. They were essentially sifted out of that nation and brought together, and when the time came, he brought them out. Does that sound familiar? This is what Yahweh does with the righteous. He does not judge the righteous with the wicked. And he makes a way. The new covenant made that possible. So there was a new nation of Israel the new covenant Israel. And you could be part of that. You didn't have to be part of that corrupt system. Well, it took the best part of 40 years for that work to be done. And we know what happened at the end of that. The year 70, the destruction, not only of the temple, but of the whole city of Jerusalem. And really the whole nation was destroyed. But the new covenant had provided a place of rescue for the remnant. Yeshua had done that. 
But of course, after all of this and these events that followed, the people from that nation were scattered throughout the earth to join the many others from the lost tribes, right, that were already scattered throughout the earth. What would become of them? The new covenant, once again, is the answer. It wasn't just for the first century. The new covenant is first of all for Israel. And the new covenant assures the remnant return. And we looked at these verses in my last message, where Yahweh says, I gather them out of all the countries, talking about the scattered remnants. And he says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. This was prophesied through Jeremiah. And this was more than 500 years before Messiah came. So, yes, he did make an everlasting covenant with the remnant. Yeshua did that. And it's still in effect. And it's there for us. Just like he took care of the remnant in the first century when that whole corrupt system was about to be destroyed. Here we are at the end of the age, and we have the same situation now globally. And it's already foreseen in Scripture. It's all going to happen because of what Yeshua did. And of course, it says, I will plant them in the land. So the ground is shifting. This is all the changes that we're seeing, everything that's happening, as all these shifts in society. But it's with a purpose. There's an end, like Messiah had said about himself. These things are happening for an end. This is going to happen. You know, in the first century, everybody had to decide what they were going to do. <laughs> A lot of people just went on as if the life as usual. Some people took action. They saw what was going on, and they were delivered. We're in the same place. We're in the same place, and time is passing quickly. To bring in this part of the New Covenant program, all things must be shaken. All things. Everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. Both figuratively and literally. The whole world is going to shake. That's what the scriptures tell us. You're going to feel it. I'm going to feel it. Let's be in the right place when that happens. Yeshua said, therefore, be watchful all the time, praying that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will happen. That's the remnant exodus, friends. And to stand before the Son of Man. To stand. I like that word when we're talking about things shaking. 
to be able to stand. And the basis on which we can stand is the new covenant inaugurated by the blood of Yeshua Messiah. Friends, let's use the time we have. Let's not be like those disciples that went to sleep. I know it's hard to keep going sometimes. I know it is. But use the time to be spiritually prepared for what's coming. Prepare for shifting ground. Listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. The scripture verses referenced in today's program are Luke chapter 22, verse 35 through verse 71, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and verse 6, Luke chapter 22, verse 20, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through verse 33. Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through verse 32, Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 37 through verse 41, and Luke chapter 21 through verse 36. Further teachings and study materials on first century history from a biblical Hebraic perspective, the new covenant, following Messiah, the remnant of Israel, being grafted into the remnant of Israel as a believing Gentile, spiritual warfare, faith, walking in the Holy Spirit, how to stand strong in the evil day, the order of Yahweh's nation under the new covenant, and how it's meant to empower people to overcome the enemy in these last days, preparing for the prophesied remnant return, and more end times prophecy, along with many other related topics, can all be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to zion.net. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot N-E-T. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Tune in next Shabbat to learn more Hebraic insights in the Gospels. Shabbat Shalom!
The restoration of the remnant of Israel is one of the most undertaught, neglected, and unknown major events in Bible prophecy. A strange fact, since prophecies and references to this event can be found all throughout almost every major book of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Now, Yahweh has raised up Zion ministry to teach His remnant nation of Israel everything they need to know about this often neglected truth in His perfect timing. To learn who the remnant of Israel is, what the Zion mission is, and why we teach the things we do, go to our website at zion.org and click on Remnant Vision in the menu bar. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G. We will return to Yar and sing for joy.